Welcome to this very special edition of the South Mims U podcast, coming from our digital studies department in a rather rainy South Mims. In this episode, we're going to solve a mystery which has dogged the world of cryptocurrencies for more than a decade. The identity and motives of the man who invented Bitcoin and the blockchain, one Satoshi Nakamoto. In 2007 and 2008, this mysterious individual published computer code and a white paper and then promptly disappeared. His code serves as a foundation for the cryptocurrency we call Bitcoin, which spawned a host of other cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin is based on the blockchain, a distributed electronic ledger of transactions and information which is powered by millions of computers around the world and cannot be tampered with. Our resident cryptocurrency specialist is Booker T. Briesman, who first joined us here at South Mims U as a student on our journalism course. Isn't that right, Booker? It is, yes, that's right. And what I learned on that excellent course has helped me work on the story. And it's quite a story. <clears throat> and you have quite a name, if I may, if I may say so. Uh, named after the leader of the band Booker T and the MGs, perhaps? Yes, and Booker T. Washington, the educator and civil rights leader from the turn of the 20th century in the United States. So you're named after both of them? Well, my parents were never specific. At school, I was called Onions, for obvious reasons. Uh, why? Uh, Green Onions, the Booker T and the MGs hit from Stack's record in 1962. Ah, right, right, right. I'm not an expert on music from that era. Everyone knows it when they hear it, though many don't know it's called Green Onions. Though, that's not the subject of this podcast. Yeah, sure, sure. Before you ask, it's claimed that the song was called Green Onions because it's something you throw away, but it could also be named after a cat. A cat? A cat called Green Onions, yes. Can we talk about Satoshi Nakamoto? That is the big story here. Okay, okay. So this is the man who invented the blockchain and Bitcoin. He is. Although we were never sure if he was a he, or even a single individual. The code for the blockchain and the first Bitcoins just appeared in 2007 through 2008, and the famous white paper appeared online, attributed to Satoshi Nakamoto, and there was an email address using his name and a .org website for Bitcoin. But the idea of an electronic currency wasn't a new one, was it? No, it wasn't a new idea at all. But it had never been framed this way before. It had never been based on clever mathematics and a structure which enabled peer-to-peer -peer distribution which could be certified and secure. Well, why is that important? I mean, you could just do it through a bank. Not doing it through a bank is the point of Bitcoin. That's what it says in the first sentence of the white paper's abstract. I'll read it to you. A purely peer-to-peer -peer version of electronic cash would allow online payments to be sent directly from one party to another without going through a financial institution. Right. So, no banks. No banks. That's the point. This is as much about freedom and individual rights as it is about money. Some say, in the end, that the whole idea of cryptocurrency is a political one a libertarian way of breaking free from established power structures which are epitomised by the financial system as we know it. OK, but isn't a bank an institution you can rely on to protect you? Sure, if you can trust it. As the paper says, if you can trust the institution, you're OK. But maybe that institution isn't really working for your advantage, but for its own advantage. And it's also in the thrall of the already rich and powerful, and in many cases, states and governments. 
Bitcoin is supposed to free people from those forces, cut out their ability to charge you for their trust, and break down the rules which force people to disclose their financial dealings. Okay, so it's about freedom. Freedom is defined by libertarians. It can be, but that's a whole side argument. We, we, we don't have time to go into that. Well, what we're talking about is Satoshi himself, or herself, or themselves. Satoshi himself, or herself claimed to be Japanese. Well, hence the name. It's like the kind of name you'd give a Japanese character in a movie. Two very common names. They are common, aren't they? They are. And Satoshi is generally a name for a man. It means intelligent history, or at least that's what many links on the internet say it means. Right. Secret message, perhaps? Perhaps. We, we can't know that. Well, not yet anyway. This Satoshi Nakamoto offered the information that he had been born on April the 5th, 1975. Well, that's very specific. Sounds it, but you can just pick a date out of nowhere that vaguely makes sense and claim that it's your birth date. Sure, so uh, we know that this Satoshi is in his mid-40s. No, no, that's what he wanted you to think. It's a smokescreen, clearly a smokescreen. It's actually a little amateurish, if you ask me, revealing a birth date without any other information. It's like the real person thought they'd confuse the issue a bit more with information like that. But what if it's real? Well, we know it isn't. Well, of course, because you, your team here at South Mims, you have discovered who the real Satoshi Nakamoto is, uh, was. Um... We'll come onto that. But what's interesting is what the aura of mystery surrounding Satoshi did for the idea of the blockchain and Bitcoin. It helped spread the ideas and generated a lot of interest in mining Bitcoin. So it was... Um good publicity stunt. Yeah, that's true. A publicity stunt for an amazing bit of coding. It's generally agreed that the way Satoshi constructed blockchain and Bitcoin is mathematically brilliant. Of course, some people think it's numerical smoke and mirrors. I mean, there are experts who say that blockchain isn't that secure or unique, or even that useful. One commentator called it a glorified Excel spreadsheet. What do you think? I think it's brilliant. It will be useful. It has its uses, but perhaps it's not going to change the world as we know it. That is going a little too far. And what about Bitcoin? Well, that has become the standard for cryptocurrencies and it has generated a huge amount of interest. It's been through a boom and bust cycle, but there's no escaping the fact that when Satoshi first released the code, a Bitcoin was worth, I don't know, a, a few cents. Now it's worth a few thousand dollars. But for a time, back in 2018 or so, one Bitcoin was worth almost $20,000. And many people think it's going to be worth a million dollars. That's what John McAfee, the founder of the antivirus software, predicted a while back. Will it be worth that much? Personally, I don't think so. The problem with Bitcoin is that it's not a useful currency. Ordinary people don't use it, would find it hard to use it, probably don't want to use it. But there are lots of people out there who trade in it as an investment, and so it is worth money. After all, if there are people willing to pay for Bitcoin using what's called fiat money, that's ordinary money backed by banks and governments, then why not let them? Sure. Like the saying goes, there's a sucker born every minute. I own 10,000 Bitcoins. Wise investment. Uh, so let's get to the exciting news, shall we? We've teased our listeners too much. OK. The big news is that we know who Satoshi Nakamoto was. We have a name and a personal history. Well, who is... Who was he? Or is. Depends how you define life. Mm, that sounds confusing. It's an intriguing situation. My team were convinced that Satoshi was a gamer. Somebody who reveled in intrigue and puzzles and online trickery. 
He was obviously a brilliant coder, a mathematician, an historian, a philosopher, and I believe an optimist. He believed in the promise of technology to make the world a better place. He also hated banks. He really hated banks. Big banks, government-backed banks, investment and merchant banks, the established elite of money changers. Bitcoin was his way of undermining their power? Yes, and freeing people from their thrall, as he might put it. So he was, is, a he, right? Um, yes and no. Explain. This man was born, raised, educated in South Mims. You're joking. Right here in South Mims, this was the birthplace and home of Satoshi Nakamoto. It was, it is, and it still is. He's alive. Hold on, hold on. Let's fill in some details. Well, what's his name? I, t I take it it's not Satoshi Nakamoto. No, it's not Satoshi Nakamoto. It is Henry Lucy. Henry Lucy. Henry Lucy? Henry Lucy? Oh, God. Yes. The manager at the local Hertfordshire County Bank. That, that, ba that bank closed down uh, 15 years ago? It was subsumed into a large international bank and the branch was closed down. You probably remember it was in the news. The branch was closed almost overnight and all the staff were made redundant. Yeah, yes, and Henry campaigned for them. He, he was such a nice man, but he, he, was, he was quite old even back then. Yeah, he was born in 1953. Educated at Cambridge in computer science and philosophy and did a PhD in economic history as well. Always a very dapper man. Tweed suits, trilby hat, spotted handkerchief in his breast pocket. Quite a, quite a feminine man too, as I recall. Yes, and so that's why he could be a she. Because five years after the closure of the bank, he transitioned to becoming Henrietta Lucy. Really? Oh, I missed that. He went to live in St Albans. Oh, right. As a woman? As a woman. And a banker? No. He left the banking industry and went back to his first love, coding. And created blockchain and Bitcoin. In a bedsit near the Roman History Museum at St Albans. The Verulam. The Verulam, yes. And how did you find him when so many people couldn't? I had one particular student who turned out to be a brilliant hacker. He started with a very simple clue, and it was nothing to do with computer code. And that was? The way Satoshi used English. Many commentators and investigators noticed that his use of English was, well, very English. He did not write the language as if it was his second language, or even like a Japanese man who'd become fluent in English might write it. Fascinating. It's also been claimed that none of Satoshi's approximately 500 posts on the web were made between midnight and 6am Greenwich Mean Time. So he had to live somewhere within that time band, most likely England. Or Scotland. Well, we know it's England now. Or Wales. Y yes, but... Or Portugal. Look, we know it's England. St Albans, up the road. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Yes, you're right. right. Go so, on. With that information, people speculated that Satoshi could be a decentralised currency enthusiast, like a certain Nick Zabo. Textual analysis of Zabo's writing style showed many similarities, but he always denied being Satoshi. Because he isn't. Yes, we know that now. Who else was there? Then there was a Japanese-American man named, wait for it, Dorian Prentice Satoshi Nakamoto. He was born simply Satoshi Nakamoto. Too obvious. Yeah, but the press went after him and he made some cryptic comments which got everybody excited, but he denied being the inventor of Bitcoin. 
And he didn't live in England. No, he didn't. But you know how journalists are. They like the obvious. Sure. Then there was an early Bitcoin miner called David Kleinman. He was on the list of the first people who were sent the original blockchain Bitcoin paper. And then there's Craig White, an Australian academic who in 2015 was outed as Satoshi in an email sent to Gizmodo, a design, technology, science and sci-fi website. He said he was Satoshi, or at least the inventor of Bitcoin, but then retracted the statement. He's still big in the crypto world at this moment. But we know that none of these people are Satoshi. We know that now. And there are other people who lay claim to the name, but yes, Henry, Henrietta Lucy is Satoshi Nakamoto. Now, you mentioned that hacker who helped you find the truth. Who is he? His name is Victor Emmanuel Zamit Smith, and he's a Maltese coder and hacker who's known for his brilliant but shady dealings on the dark web. You know, in the Pirate Bay mode. And he's based in Malta? He is. Malta is very big on crypto right now. It likes to be known as the blockchain island. The government encourages crypto startups. But I guess there's a lot else that goes on there and under the radar, right? You could say that. So, how did Victor Emmanuel identify Henry Henrietta Lucy? I called him and asked him to make a recorded statement over Skype. Here it is. Are you sure this line is encrypted? It, it needs to be encrypted. Okay, so, Booker, it's your hunch which made me start looking in the trans community. You said to me, do you remember, you said, he, she, they. What, what if this person was one of the first to shift from pronoun to pronoun? That was a great idea because it meant that perhaps if he was doing that in terms of gender, he was also doing it in terms of code. And when you really look into the code for Bitcoin, there are constant shifts that make it so hard to crack, like the mystery of one's own true self. Who are we? What are we? What is money? Where is money? It's, it's all an idea. It's all in the air, shifting and changing and recombining. And yes, there was a clue in there, in the code of a single Bitcoin, which was one of the first to be mined and is currently owned by my cousin, Jeffrey. And he happens to be an expert on, on British Victorian literature with special reference to South Mims. When I hacked the Bitcoin code, the truth was all there. It was lucky, like a golden crypto ticket. But there it was. The message was cryptic. All time is frozen. All insight preserved. All truth will tour from icy time. It sounded like a poem. And indeed it was. Jeffrey immediately recognized it as being by a very obscure poet who lived in South Mims in the late 19th century, uh, Thomas Lowell Simmons. So I went directly to the poem by hacking the British Library. And there, there was the answer. Oh shit, listen, I must go. I really have to go. Ciao, ciao. I've heard of Thomas Lowell Simmons. He had a large house here in South Mims, but it was bought by a technology startup ten years ago or so? It was. It's the big red brick mansion a mile from here, and it's now owned by Eternal Cryogenics. Cryogenics. People pay to have their bodies, or just their heads, frozen at death, so that they can be revived at some point in the future when technology has advanced enough to give them life again. It's actually a big industry. Must be expensive. Hmm? Hundreds of thousands of dollars for the whole body. Cheaper for the head. God. Sounds horrible. They cut off your head. After you're dead. And freeze it. Yeah, 
in the hope that consciousness within your brain can be linked to a future computer. This is science fiction, surely. Sounds like it, but our team have created a prototype which we believe can revive the consciousness of a mind so long as it's been expertly frozen to the right temperature and kept under the right conditions. Hold on. Are you suggesting... I'm not suggesting anything. I'm confirming it. It's time we went inside Eternal Cryogenics at Simmons Hall. Amazing. They have very tight security. Impressive. Cool. Oh, that wasn't a joke. This is truly cool and cold, but, but <clears throat> like something out of a Stanley Kubrick movie. All those white sleep capsules with blinking lights and screens showing data. It's amazing. You can't see the bodies or the heads. So, the small capsules are the heads? No, no, the heads are here. Wow. It's a wall of small chambers, each with a unique identifier and Wi-Fi-enabled communications in the hope that soon the consciousness inside will be able to surf the web merely using their reanimated and rebooted minds. It's scary, actually. For some, it is. For others, it's the hope of eternal life. Or at least life until we destroy the planet. Or the planet destroys us. Or the sun explodes. But by then, humans would have left planet Earth on spaceships at warp speed to boldly go where no man has been before. Uh, sure. Now, here. See that chamber? HL0001? Yep. That's Satoshi Nakamoto. It's numbered HL0001 for Henry, Henrietta Lucy, and the very first Bitcoin, which is what paid for the cryogenics and the chamber's rent. Amazing. I can't see anything through that, through that little window. All I can see is frost. You wouldn't expect to be able to gawk at the head. That would be a bit sick, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah I guess. Now, Victor Emmanuel's cousin... The Maltese expert in South Mim's literature. Yes, one of the few students to have studied the rather strange poems of Thomas Lowell Simmons. He found these words, and it gave Victor Emmanuel the idea to dig deeper here in South Mim's. What's the poem? It's simply called Thor. As in the, uh, the, the Norse gods and the Marvel movies? Uh, no. Thor, T-H-A-W, as in thawing out. Ah, oh, of course, yes. This is the poem. No, it's, it's not long. All time is frozen, all insight preserved, all emotion frost on a simple thistle. All your words are icicles in my mind, your lies, your promises, your equations. But my freedom is powered by the heat of my passion, and all truth will thaw from icy time. Uh, what does that mean? I don't know. But Henry Lucy clearly liked the poem. It resonated with him. And that's how you found him? It was clever coding and hacking and detective work. But that's why we're here. And what about Henry Henrietta's bitcoins? It said that Satoshi kept one million of them, which would make him... Extraordinarily rich, yes. And this is the problem. Problem? Victor Emmanuel stole them. When? Did you know that when you recorded him on the phone? No, but he'd already hacked into Henry's brain and got the keys to the Bitcoin stash, and now he's disappeared into the digital ether. Oh, you can't trust these Maltese. 
And there's a further problem. I can see where this is going. The theft of the Satoshi Bitcoin stash means that the rent can't be paid on this cryogenic chamber. Really? So we're going to have to make a choice. Thaw Henry out and bury him, or raise enough to keep Satoshi in cryogenic suspension. Well, we could try and uh, crowdfund it. Would that work? We could try. Well, I think we could do a whole podcast on whether that would be a good idea, or whether Satoshi Nakamoto should be left to go the way of all flesh. Thank you for this fascinating story. We'll return to the subject of cryogenics in another podcast very soon, and I'm sure we'll also discuss cryptocurrencies too. Until then, goodbye, and please subscribe if you haven't already done so. Goodbye.